They uh, sent you back, huh? All right, yeah, I got you. <laughs> Galatians chapter number three, if you would. Um, I'm going to say a name that I don't know if this is going to give me a whole bunch of stares or if you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about, but have any of you ever played the game Huckle Buckle Beanstalk? Like, I didn't know if that was a northern thing or if that was something that, uh, that everybody... So when I was growing up in elementary school... Uh, when, whenever it would rain outside and we couldn't have recess on the playground, um, our teachers, of course, came up with, with classroom games, and one of my favorites was Huckle Buckle Beanstalk. And uh, the, I don't know why it was called that. The teacher would hand a chalkboard eraser to one of the students, and she would then send five students out of the room, close the door, give that student uh, 30 seconds to hide the chalkboard eraser wherever she want, wherever that person wanted, and then the other five students were let back in the room, and the first one to see the eraser, not grab it, see the eraser and get to their seat and said the words, huckle, buckle, beanstalk. They were the winners. They got them the eraser to hide for the next group, and I love that game. Uh, the, the interesting thing about the game, though, is sometimes the hiding space, the hiding place would be really, really good. And uh, so the, pers- the, the five walking around would have no idea where it is. And so the person who hit it uh, could give them hints and simply say, as you probably heard, you're getting warmer, warmer, oh, colder, colder. Oh, you're ice cold. Oh, you're burning up hot. And, and then the first person to see and run to their seat would get it. I, I want you to keep that in mind as we, as we get into this portion of Galatians because Paul is going to... Use the law as you're getting warmer. You're getting, oh, you're getting colder, 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 warmer, warmer, because Paul is going to use the law to point us to what we're truly looking for, and that's Christ. In fact, we're not going to get to it today, but in Galatians chapter 3, verse number 24, Paul's actually going to, he's going to say that the law was a schoolmaster, the law was a tutor to get us to Christ. And what he's trying to say is that the law can point you to God, but the law cannot get, get you to God. The law can point you close to the kingdom of God, but the law cannot get you into the kingdom of God. Only Jesus can do that. Now today we're going to, as we, we read this, and, and Trent, could you throw the, um, that slide up? Uh, as, we, as we begin reading the, uh, the, the passage today, Paul's going to reference the word law. I just, just want to bring one clarification before we jump into things. Most often, but not every time, but most often when Paul talks about the law, he's, pr- he's primarily speaking of the Jewish laws that God's people, the nation of Israel, had to keep. And there's so many of them. There was 630 of these laws. And, and many of them were not moral or immoral. I mean, it, some of them had to do with what, what food they could eat, that they had to make one day the Sabbath, that they uh, had feasts and tabernacles, that circumcision needed to take place for males on the eighth day. Now, now some of those, if, if you didn't follow them and you were not a part of the kingdom uh, people, they weren't immoral. And so primarily, Paul, when he talks about the law, he's going to be talking about these 630 Jewish laws, but there will be occasion where he's going to talk about a universal law that's not just for the nation, but for all of creation. Because every person made is, every person created is made in the image of God, and so therefore murder, adultery, immorality, stealing, and things like that, that's against 
an image bearer of God. And so those are universal laws. So we want to try to keep that in mind as, as we go along. But what we're going to see today as we read is that Paul, if you've not been with us, we've been walking through Galatians. Paul's going to continue to confront this group of Jewish religious leaders who had come into the church to tell the Gentile believers, these Galatians, and here's what they would say is faith in Jesus is important, but it's not enough. You must also follow the Jewish laws. And Paul's going to confront them, but today he's going, what we're going to look at today, he's going to tell them, these people are telling you that keeping the law is going to be a blessing to you because you're going to be right with God. But I'm going to tell you, trying to do that is actually a curse. Because there's only one way to the blessings of God. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. And if you try to look to the laws as your way to be made right with God, you are going to find yourself under a curse. And here's why. And this is, this is where we're going to kind of stay on today, this thought. My life, our lives, my life is not about displaying my perfection. It's about displaying Jesus' redemption. We're not about following the law Perfectly, we're about showing the redemption of Jesus for all who do break the law. And before we begin reading, I just want to remind you, we said this last week, but we're going to enter, to enter a place where we're going to see a lot of quotation marks. When you see quotation marks in the New Testament, it's primarily a quote from the Old Testament. So as we read this, this passage, and we're going to begin in verse number 9, we're going to read through verse 14. As we read through the passage, I want to point out two things to you. One, notice the word curses being used regularly. And two, notice how many quotations Paul is going to use from the Old Testament. Now, if you don't understand, why would Paul be quoting the Old Testament? Because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. He's actually currently writing the New Testament as this letter is being written. Now we have the New Testament. So all he has to refer to as a foundation for truth is the Old Testament. So he's going to continue to draw from the Old Testament as he teaches these New Testament Christians how the Old Testament applies to Christ and then to them. So look at Galatians chapter 3, verse number 9 with me if you would. Galatians 3, verse number 9 says this. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says... The person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord, we just, we really need your mind. May your spirit work within us. And Father, may we truly celebrate who you are in this passage today. 
In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to go back to these first two verses. Paul's offering a choice to the Galatians in verses 9 and 10. You can rely on faith and be blessed. Or you can rely on, and when he says rely on, he means live by. Some, some of your translations would actually say live by. You can rely on or live by the works of the law, and you're under a curse. So, so right away we have this choice. Do we want the blessing of faith, or do we want the curse of the law? Well, I mean, we all want the blessing, so then what does it mean then to live by faith? And to live by faith means more than simply to believe in God, because remember, the book of James tells us the demons believe God exists. So it's not believing God is there, but to live by faith means to live with a clear reliance on God and on his promises. See, living by faith, and please, please understand me, living by faith is more than just, oh, I'm not going to go to hell when I die. Living by faith says, I know God provided his son to deliver me from my sin and to bring me to himself. If God would do that, he will always provide everything I need when I need it. It means I can trust him with everything that I have. And if he asks me to ever give him something valuable or do something difficult, he will always provide for me. That's living by faith. Living by faith says I know that Jesus willingly suffered God's wrath for my sin including the separation from the Father I deserved. And if Jesus would do that, that means he won't leave me alone in the middle of a broken relationship. He won't leave me alone in the middle of broken dreams. I can trust him because I've seen what he does, I know what he has promised, and I can live by faith in him and in his promises. Living by faith is what we saw last week. If you were here when Stevie gave the testimony of taking his fa- of, of his family opening up their home and taking Noah in. Living by faith is Pastor Micah leaving, uh, leaving what he was comfortable with here and, and taking his family across the world because he knows it's what God called him to do. And he doesn't know how they're going to get there. He doesn't know what the process is, but he knows if God called me, I'm going to go because he'll provide. That's what living by faith is. It's it's knowing God, hearing from God, and obeying whatever God says. But this is important. The blessing of a life of faith is not something tangible that you get in return for your obedience. The blessing of faith is that you get God. So sometimes we we have this thought, well, God told me to do this, and so if I do this, this is what I'm going to get in return for it. No, that's not the blessing of faith. The blessing of faith is not what you get. The blessing of faith is who you get. That's a father. But in contrast, Paul says if you live by works, you're under a curse. But he was talking about good works. That's a problem. He's talking about good works. Works not, not, not people who live in an evil lifestyle, but those who are trusting in their own works. Let's think with me. Why in the world would someone who is doing good be under God's curse? Just doing good things. 
Just trying to live a good life. And you're telling me that doing good works now places me under the curse of God. Well, well, Paul is going to explain how living a life of good works puts you under the curse of God. And he's going to do so by quoting Moses. This is significant. If you've been tracking with us, if you've been following the series we've been going through from Galatians, you know that Paul is confronting a group of Judaizers. He's confronting a group of Jews, and he's already confronted them the first time by using the father of the Jews, Abraham. And if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we talked about how Abraham's life is a contrast to what these Judaizers are saying. Abraham believed God, and with no works done whatsoever, just his belief, he was counted righteous. Now Paul's going to use Moses, a hero of the Jews. Moses was the one who led them out of Egypt. He's the one who brought them across the wilderness. He's the one who received the law that makes them righteous. And so Paul's going to say, if you try to follow the law for your righteousness, you're under a curse. And he's going to point to Moses's, their heroes, very words. He's going to talk to them about what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter number 27. Right as they're ready to go into the promised land, Moses gets the people together and he's going to say something that Paul's going to quote here in Galatians. And here's what he says. Moses gathers everybody and he says, when you get to the promised land, and I'm not going with you, but when you get there, I'm going to have the priests read the blessings and the curses of the law. And every time you hear a blessing, you say amen. And every time you hear a curse, you say amen. And if you were to read Deuteronomy 27, what you'd find is that, that the priests or that Moses says, say this, cursed is anyone who makes a graven image. And all the people respond with amen. Cursed is anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. And all the people say amen. And the very last curse Moses gets to in Deuteronomy 27 is this. Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. And all the people shall say, Amen. You may not understand the significance of this at first, but what Paul is saying is, and he quotes it in Galatians 3, there is a curse on everyone who doesn't continue to do everything that was written in the book of the law. So Paul's saying, if you're going to choose to live by the law, you have to keep the whole law. And the problem is, no one can. And because no one can, you're under a curse. But I do a lot of good things, right? But if you don't keep anything, Moses has declared you are cursed. You are under God's curse because you are not keeping the whole law. Man, that's, that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, well, see, but here's the thing. Remember, we could have lived by faith and received blessing, but we're trying to live by the law. So now there's this curse that's on us. We see, we see something similar in verses 11 and 12 of Galatians as Paul continues. He says this statement, Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because, and here's the statement. He's going to pull from Habakkuk, a prophet in the Old Testament, who makes the statement, the righteous will live by faith. 
What Habakkuk was writing is Habakkuk was showing a contrast between a group of people called the Babylonians who were strong and mighty but very wicked and they were enemies of God. But in that moment, they were ruling. And he's saying, but but trust me, those, the righteous, the people of God, will live by their faith in God. God has promised that he will always preserve a remnant because God promised in Genesis to Abraham that the Messiah will come through the line. So continue to live by faith. And by the time Paul's writing this, the Babylonians who were wicked when Habakkuk was writing don't even exist anymore. But the righteous, those who are still following God, who had faith in God, continue and are now growing. And in verse number 12, he says, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Again, here's this Old Testament quote. It comes from Leviticus 18, when Moses is writing and saying to the people, hey, 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 you're about to go into the promised land. And here's why. The people who live there, they are immoral. They have defiled the land. And here's where it goes to these universal laws. They have killed people. They commit all kinds of sexuality. They are wicked and vile, and I am removing them. But I'm going to tell you this too, people. God says, if you do the same thing they do, I'm going to remove you just like I removed them. And Israel eventually turned from God, turned to themselves and to other gods, and they were removed from the land too. You see, what Paul's trying to show is that when we live by the law, there's always this game of comparison on how to make us feel right. Have you ever, and I'm not really asking you to raise your hand, I'm asking you to think about this. Have you ever thought to yourself, if I came to church today, God must be pleased with me? Well, let's think about that. If we're comparing you coming to church with someone who could but didn't come to church, well, then I could see why you might say God was pleased with you. But what if, we, what if we compared you with someone who goes to church three or four times a week and hasn't missed in six months? Now do you feel right with God? Or do you feel the curse? You see, if we came to church today, not to compare ourselves with who did or didn't come to church today, but if we walked into church today believing God brought us here so that you could be an encouragement to someone, so you could pray with someone, so you could speak to someone, so you could worship our God with a corporate body of believers, well, that puts our faith in God and puts God as the centerpiece of why we do what we do. And we're not looking to one another to find out if we're righteous or not. We simply know, I believe him. He wants me here. I'm here because God desires it. And it's so different when we live by faith. See, anytime we start to compare righteousness We always have this choice. Do I compare with someone who's less righteous than me or someone who's more righteous than me? But if we're going to compare righteousness, let's just be honest, shouldn't we be comparing ourselves to Jesus? I mean, he came in the form of man. I know he was the son of God, but he came with the human nature. And he was tempted in every way like we were tempted, but he lived without sin. So let me ask you, How right would you feel if you stood before God in comparison to Jesus and his righteousness? That's the curse of the law. 
you want to know the good thing? What if we could stand before God in the righteousness of Jesus? Oh, that's actually what we get to do when we have faith because faith unites us with Jesus and we receive his righteousness. And so when God looks at us, he does see us standing in the righteousness of Christ. That is the blessing of faith. So Paul presents this blessing or cursing, but then Paul moves on and he talks about the redemption that Jesus offers to those who are under the curse. Look at verse 13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, and here he goes again, quoting the Old Testament, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Verse 13 begins with Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. We already saw what the curse of the law was. If we don't keep it all, we, we're cursed because we can't keep it all. But Christ come to re, came to redeem us from that. How? By becoming the curse. I was, was Paul really, did he really mean that or was he just making that up to make people feel good? Well, he quotes Moses, which he says in Deuteronomy 21. I want to read this to you. This is what he says. This is Moses talking. If anyone guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day. And here's, here's what Paul pulls out. Because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. So Moses tells the people, those who violate the law of God are exposed for their violation of the law of God on a pole. And that word pole is the same word for wood or tree. So someone hanging on a tree is being exposed for being under the curse of God. And if you're tracking with me, you already know where we're going with this in Galatians 3 when it says Christ redeemed us because he was the one who ended up hanging on a tree. But he hadn't broken God's laws. He hadn't violated any of God's law. He was not under the curse because he perfectly kept the law of God. So why does he end up hanging on the tree? Because he saved us. He redeemed us from the curse of breaking the law. And how did he do that? By keeping the law and by taking our violation of the law upon himself. Why would he do that? Well, he says in verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Hey, Jesus went to the cross not simply just to take our curse upon us. He did. But he also went to the cross so that he could then hand you the blessing that comes through the man of Abraham who we, if we have faith in Jesus, are children of Abraham. 
We, because of Jesus, have had our sin and our curse cared for, and we, because of Jesus, have received the blessing of the Messiah. And what is the blessing of the Messiah? What does he offer? Redemption from our curses and the sharing of his blessings. Oh, we should have been cursed, but because we are blessed. We were dirty, but because of Jesus, we're clean. We were hopeless, but because of Jesus, we have great hope. We were worthless, now we are his treasures. We were broken, but now we are redeemed. That's what the Messiah offers. This week, I was sitting at my kitchen table reading this book that Carolyn Palmer gave me a few weeks ago. It's called The Unwavering Pastor, and it says, Leading the Church with Grace in Divisive Times. It's basically the story of a pastor who was ready to call quits. And it's, it's, a, it's a brand new book, and so he talks about going through COVID and, and the struggles that he personally has faced, and we've all faced struggles. We've all been broken. I've read just this week of the teacher shortage in Virginia because these teachers, these school teachers are dealing with so much, having taken the time away from, from the pandemic and coming back. And there's so much that's expected from so many of these teachers that many have called it quits and they've walked away. We, it's very easy to see in the news the, the law enforcement officers of our nation and the way that they have, that, 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 that many city officials have not backed them and, and they've, they've, many politicians have, have hurt the, the testimony of, of our law enforcement officers and so they're, they're walking away. Most of you could talk about people you know that in the last two years have really struggled and been broken. And it hits everyone. It hits, it hits spiritual leaders, too. I've shared a little bit of my story with you, of, of my, my personal brokenness, but just this, this, this week I heard of two more pastors. And this is not just like in the news. I mean, of people that I know, two more pastors who've just resigned and walked away. I was sitting at the table, my kitchen table, reading this this week, and this man is telling his story and he talks about how his heart just reached a point where he said, I just didn't care anymore about the church. He said, I was emotionally spent. I was broken. He said, I went and told the leaders of the church that and they gave him a two-month sabbatical. And so during that time, he said that he went and was trying to fill his schedule with things that he thought would be helpful for him. And he went and went to a, a Japanese pottery artist seminar that's called Kintsugi. I, I think that's what it's called. But, but the man that was putting the seminar on, he and his, he and his wife, they explained this, this Japanese process where they take broken pieces of pottery and they assemble them together, but they assemble them with liquid gold. So every crack and every crevice is seen but it's filled with gold. And what he was explaining is the brokenness actually has contributed to this, these pieces now being of greater value than they were before they were broken. 
all sitting there like, wow, that's, that's powerful. And, and then he continued to talk about his, his, this man's wife got up at the end of the seminar and she was holding a piece. And she said, my husband left out one part of the process as he explained, as he explained taking the broken pieces and assembling them together with gold. And she said, my husband left out one piece. Before we begin assembling these pieces back together, we always pause to honor the brokenness. We look at the broken pieces and we honor the fact that it's been broken. And then we begin to assemble it together. And when I read that, I know I'm trying to give you my thoughts, but when I read that, a big lump got in my throat. Because I personally have, have struggled with some brokenness, me personally. And I've never one time thought to honor that brokenness. This is Tuesday, and so on Tuesday morning, I, I always go pray at Mount Zion, and I, I went up there. Actually, Charlotte, I saw you, saw you on Tuesday. She came by about the time I was up there. I was up there, and I, I, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I, I want to honor, want to honor the brokenness that I've experienced. And as I was assembling this, this message together, all of a sudden, at some point, it, it hit me. That honoring of the brokenness, it was a piece that I was completely leaving out. And, and what I was trying to do was to take the brokenness that was in front of me, and I was trying to piece it together, and I was trying to make things right again and make things whole again. And I was assembling it back together myself. I just want things to be right again. I sat up there at Mount Zion and my, I just began to weep as I was talking to the Lord and I said, I'm sorry, I, I've never honored what you've done because the brokenness is something that you have allowed to come into my life. And it's the brokenness of my life that you alone can assemble me back together and make me in my brokenness. You can make me more valuable because of the brokenness. But I'll never get that way if I live my life by trying to put it back together myself, which is what living by works is all about. I need to live by faith that I believe you gave your son and he was broken for me. And if he was broken for me and he suffered separation from you, and if he suffered my eternal punishment he's going to be with me in this time and he will bring me together he will piece me back together for my good and for your glory and I sat there and I wept and I just said thank you for the st stinking brokenness of my life I sent a message to my wife and told her what I was feeling and then I have I have three pastor friends that we regularly communicate on a on an app called Marco Polo and I sat up there and I just told them what the Lord was doing in my heart I came back and I told Miss Miss Palmer she's she's in the classroom right across from my office so we get a chance to talk regularly and told her the same some of the same things because she gave me this book and I wanted her to know what was going on the next day 
I uh, opened up my Facebook account, and I, one of the things I always look, love looking to do is, is see memories, like what's taken, what, what's happened in the past. And this is what I opened up to on Wednesday morning. A picture that I had posted a year ago of a broken piece of pottery put back together with gold. And it says, God makes all things new. He doesn't make all new things. Like in that moment, I was like, man, God, okay, I, I get it. All right, you're talking and I'm listening. One of my friends on that Marco Polo group, he, uh, he had told me on Tuesday when I left the message, he said, Brian, I'm going to get back to you on that. On Friday morning, he started to talk back to me and share with me. He said, Brian, I, I need to tell you what I thought of immediately when you told your story. He said, I was teaching at a Christian school about 15 years ago. My wife and I had been married about 10 years. He said, I was in the chapel before school one day and I was just praying. And, and he said, I once again went to the Lord and, and, I, and I asked him to give my wife and I a child. And he said, as clear as can be, the Holy Spirit came to me and said, why have you never thanked me for the condition I've given you? And he said, my response was, you want me to thank you for nothing? And he said, as soon as those words came out of my heart, he said, I began to weep. How can I say that God has given me nothing? God, you have given me so much and you have blessed me so richly. And he said, I, I got to a point and it was so difficult, but he said, I got to a point where I said, Lord, thank you for the barrenness. He's telling me this on Friday. What I knew is that earlier that week, his 12-year-old daughter had started school. Fifteen years ago, he was thanking God for his barrenness, and three years later, God provided them a child, blessed them with a child. But it didn't, the, and what he made so clear to me is the blessing is not just the child. The blessing was the peace that God gave me, that he is in control of all things. Whether I give you something tangible or not, you have me. And I responded like, man, that is so awesome, Matt. And I told him, this was Friday, I told him Thursday, I went back up to Mount Zion and, and, and I prayed again and I was, was talking to the Lord and I said, I think like for the first time in a long time, my prayers with God were different. There was a, there was a joy that I had lacked. And I just left him a message thanking him for something that he had shared with me and immediately, well, just a few moments later, he, he sent me a text message and he, with a big smile and he said, I think God's trying to tell you something, Brian. Because he said, I just turned my streaming music service on in my car and it was just on random. And the first song that came was called Come What May. 
He sent it to me. He said, listen to this. And the, the song begins with the words, sometimes sorrow is the door to peace. Sometimes heartache is the gift I need. But you're faithful. Faithful in all things. In every high and every low, on mountaintops, down broken roads, you're still my rock. My hope remains and I'll rest in the arms of Jesus. Come what may. I smiled as I listened to that song. and Halfway through, it went into Psalm chapter 23 and, and he began to, to sing some of the lyrics that were from Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The Lord is my shepherd, he leads me to still waters. And I have used Psalm 23, I've done probably 35, 36 funerals in the last three years. And I have regularly used Psalm 23 in a funeral or comforting a family. And it's always been, look at what the Lord says. Look at, he'll be a shepherd. He's going to walk with you through this valley. But, but as I was listening to this song, what stood out to me so clearly were those words, he restores my soul. You don't need restoration unless you've been broken. And I immediately got back on and I said, Matt, I just want to tell you, thank you for that song. I just listened to it. You know what stood out to me? And I told him what I just told you. And he messaged me right back and said, Brian, that is exactly what I needed to hear today. Because my, I need some soul work. I've been trying to work through some things rather than remembering he restores my soul. We all have brokenness, right? We all do. I think we have this choice of looking at our brokenness and saying, well, I'll fix it. My marriage is suffering, I'm going to fix it. My kids, I'm going to fix it. My job, I'm going to fix it. My spiritual life, I'm going to fix it. Ah, oh, what if What if we stop trying to be the fixer? And we just recognize he redeemed us, not just from the curse. He redeemed us to, to make us whole. But the soul work is his work. The soul work is not what I do. This is living by faith. You said you will restore my soul. Then you, I trust, to restore my soul. We might all be broken pieces of pottery, but if we're broken pieces in the hands of the potter, he knows how to bring us back together perfectly. And we might see the crevices, we might see the cracks, and we might see the brokenness. But that makes us more valuable to him because our lives are not about displaying our perfection. Our lives are about displaying his redemption. His redemption. He redeemed us. He wants to put you back together. He wants to assemble your broken pieces.
to take the pieces out of your hands and give them to Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, I know that I know, I really, I really feel like this, this was for me today. I was just sharing my testimony. And I need to be reminded every day. It's not about me putting things back together. It's about allowing you to be the redeemer that you came to be, the restorer that you've promised to be the Father that we get to call you. This is your work. That first song that we sang today, Lord, the goodness of God is running after me. Lord, sometimes I feel like it's not. But the truth is, if I had to be totally honest, I think I'm just running from your goodness. But you don't stop pursuing me. Lord, there's a lot of brokenness here today. But you are a master. You are a master redeemer. You are a master restorer. And Jesus has taken those of us broken by the curse of the law and he has redeemed us to give us the blessings of faith. Father, I pray that this, this church family first would recognize our brokenness. Because if we don't ever see ourselves as broken, we'll never see you as that redeemer, as that restorer. You want to do something in our lives that is so magnificent, so miraculous, and so glorifying. But Lord, some, I know me. I, I keep taking the pieces back. God, can you work in our hearts today and allow us to just give you the pieces. Just put us back in the hands of the potter. Church, I, we're going to end just a little bit of a different way. I, what I would love to do is, is I'd love to just give you a chance in just a moment. If you want to stay at your seat and pray, that's, that's great. But I would love for you to find somebody in this room and just pray with them. 